In the movie The Terminal, Tom Hanks plays a fictional character named Victor Navorsky, who becomes an exile, or as Stanley Tucci, the airport's custom director, calls him, a citizen of nowhere. What has happened is that while on the plane in the air to visit New York City from his home country of Krakosia, his home country experiences a revolution or a coup d'etat, as we call it, and the government of Krakosia no longer exists. The new rebel government cancels all travel from the country, and the United States, in response to the rebel government, revokes all travel visas, including the one that was going to uh, belong to Victor. Now, having landed at JFK Airport, but not having yet left the terminal and entered into the United States officially, Victor is truly an exile. He is a man without a home. He can't go back to Krakosia because of the revolution, and he can't get into the United States because all travel visas from his country have been revoked. He is stuck, through no fault of his own, in exile in the airport. Now, this movie is an entertaining yet fictional story, but there are real exiles in our world today. Some examples of exiles are Edward Snowden. If you've not heard of him, he used to work for the NSA. And while working for the NSA, he observed some things that the government was doing that he felt were illegal. He reported them, nothing happened. So he decided to take this information that he felt had been illegally obtained and used by the U.S. government, uh, and he dispersed this. And while he felt like his actions were moral and justified, as some still claim they were, they were viewed as criminal in the eyes of government, and he would have been arrested. To avoid arrest and imprisonment, he fled the U.S. and is currently in exile in Russia. The Dalai Lama, he, his home is Tibet, but he is a wanted man in China because of his religious beliefs. He fled China and Tibet years ago to avoid arrest and imprisonment by the Chinese government. He is currently a permanent exile living in India. Even here in St. Louis, we have exiles from their homeland. There were hundreds of thousands of Bosnians who were driven out of their home country of Bosnia back in the 90s by the invading Serbian army. They were also, there were, they were also exiles, tens of thousands of them, who once displaced were sent here to St. Louis, a place they did not choose and had never been to to begin a new life. They too were exiles. Well, last week, Matt, continuing through our series called What Happened, talked about the attack on Jerusalem by the Babylonians and the destruction of the city of Jerusalem and their holy temple. Now, this cannot be overstated, and I'll state it again throughout our message. This was the worst thing that ever happened to the people of Israel. Having their city invaded and destroyed, having their holy temple destroyed, worst thing ever. However, Unlike the Assyrian army who had come through a century or two before and had conquered the northern kingdom, remember two kingdoms, Israel, Judah, the Assyrian army conquered the northern kingdom, they had dispersed the people and they had removed the very essence of being an Israelite from that region. There was nothing left. Judah handled, Babylon handled Judah differently. They were vicious and cruel as they conquered and burned the city of Jerusalem and the temple, but they allowed the captives that they took, the people of Judah, to stay together and to continue being a people, the descendants of Abraham. Babylon took thousands upon thousands of Israelites from Judah as captives back to Babylon, but allowed them to make new lives there. 
Now, in spite of these niceties of Babylon, it's important again for me to emphasize that they were still exiles from Judah. They were foreigners living in a foreign land. And this state of exile really is a horrible place to find yourself. As I said this week, we are continuing through our current series called What Happened? As we study the Old, Testament of, the Old Testament book of Isaiah, which we started in September and will go through May, we are currently in a mini-series there walking through the historical events that framed and shaped the country of Judah where Isaiah the prophet and the author of the book lived and served the Lord. Today we'll be talking about Judah, his nation, now in exile. And ironically, we will be stepping away from Isaiah, who died years before the exile took place, and we'll be looking to the prophet Jeremiah, right next to Isaiah in the Old Testament, who lives during the fall of Jerusalem and the exile, in order to see and hear about God's heart for His people after God sends them into exile. Does that make sense? So no Isaiah today, just Jeremiah, but we're still in Isaiah. All right. So, Judah is now in captivity in Babylon. Wisely, I think, good conquerors, Babylon has taken the best and brightest of the people of Judah back to Babylon to serve King Nebuchadnezzar and to serve the Babylonian empire at large. A biblical example of this that we can read about to find out more is the Old Testament person Daniel and the book about him, especially the first six chapters, talks about the life of an exile in Babylon. You want to find out more? It's wonderful reading. Especially, like I said, the first six chapters. Now, in spite of the few nice developments we might read about in Daniel, let me say again, Judah's captivity is still a terrible event. Being in exile, away from their home country and city, trapped in Babylon, was excruciating for the people of Judah. Remember, the very essence of the nation of Israel was what? It was built upon people who were given a promised land. Abraham was told to go to a land. There he was prospered. After that, generations later, they went into Egypt. They were held as slaves. While slaves, they were told, I will send you back to your land. They left Egypt. They wandered for 40 years. They finally returned to the promised land. And now the land is gone. Centuries of being a people of promise with a promised land are over. The psalmist in Psalm 137 writes about this. This psalm is actually written from captivity. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Zion, the name, obviously, of the promised land. On the willows, they, there were hung by our leers. For there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. Can you imagine? You're in captivity. You're a slave. You're a foreigner. And now your conquerors want you to sing songs of the homeland. For their entertainment. So you can see and hear how they were tormented and taunted as exiles by the Babylonians. Exile in Babylon is terrible. And it is the last thing any faithful Israelite would ever have wanted. And this is where our message begins today. Because God has a word for his people in exile. All right? 
So let's jump into Jeremiah and see what God has to say to his people. First thing he has to say is this. God tells Judah to embrace captivity in Babylon. Let me say that again. He tells them to embrace captivity in Babylon. In Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7, we get to hear directly from God what his message is to Judah in exile. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem into Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. The word from God, from the prophet Jeremiah, to embrace captivity would have been nearly impossible to hear and to believe. God is telling his very proud people, the remnant of Israel now captive in Babylon, to do what? Settle down. Make yourself at home. This is quite honestly an unthinkable thing to a faithful Israelite. And yet, it is the word of God from his faithful prophet, Jeremiah. Did you know that Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet? This is part of the reason. God almost always gives Jeremiah news to share that the people who hear it don't want to hear. They hate the messages coming from Jeremiah. Therefore, they what? They learn to hate Jeremiah. And his life is miserable. Yet, this is God's direction and command for his people who are now in exile in Babylon. What's interesting about the situation is that it's not unlike our own lives. When God is telling us to do something we don't like or we don't agree with, when something happens in our life, that doesn't make sense to us. Many of us will look at the events in our lives that don't make sense and we think, how could this fit into God's will? God's ways have been mysterious and counterintuitive going all the way back to Babylon 2,600 years ago and even before then. Jesus talks about this challenge for those who would follow him. He doesn't say life would be easy as a follower or the path clear. No, he talks about how hard it is to follow him and to be faithful to where he leads. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, Jesus says these words, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard. That leads to life. And those who find it, the path of life, are few. Wide and easy is the path that leads to destruction in the kingdom of God. And many travel down it. But narrow is the way. And hard is the path that leads to life. And few find it. These aren't just words to fill up a page or niceties to include in the sermon. Rather, these are timeless truths for us, God's people today. And for God's people, the exiles in Babylon. Just like the exiles in Babylon, God sometimes guides us where we do not want to go. And this leads us to the second thing we need to talk about in this first point. And it's this. It isn't just Judah 
that's an exile. Or Edward Snowden, for that matter. Did you know that as a follower of Jesus Christ, when you signed up and said, yes, Jesus, then you signed up for the life of an exile. Today, wherever you live, here in the St. Louis area, the Apostle Peter speaks of this in his letter to the early church. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, this is what he says. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on this day of invitation. Or excuse me, the day of visitation. This is Peter and his audience are all believers, Christians everywhere, both in the first century when he lived and those of us reading today. He calls us what? Sojourners and exiles, because that's what we are as Christians. Fast forward to today. Most of us don't feel like sojourners and exiles. Most of us live in nice houses. And by nice, I mean multiple rooms, walls, a roof that doesn't leak, plumbing, electricity, you know, just the basics. We have so many luxuries and amenities that generations before us never could have or would have dreamed we could have obtained. We have protection from law and police when our rights are violated. Some of us have worked hard, gotten promoted, are well-paid, have comfortable pensions or retirements. Life is relatively comfortable. The last thing we feel like or would want to be is an exile. No, we actually really feel at home here in old St. Louis. We've built the life we've wanted or pretty close to it. We are living and experiencing the American dream or whatever our perception of that is. However, according to 1 Peter, according to the Scriptures, if we are truly followers of Jesus Christ, we are actually not at home. We are sojourners and exiles. And yet God tells us to do what? He tells us He wants us to build homes, plant gardens, bless the city in which we live. St. Louis, Webster Groves, Afton, Lime, Kirkwood, Fenton, Maryland Heights. We should always be looking to heaven and the life to come because that's what exiles do. But while living here in a foreign land, we should be seeking the welfare of the city where God has planted us. Be a thoughtful and caring neighbor to those around you. That's the first and foremost thing we can do because God has put you where he's put you. Are you engaging your neighbors? Are you seeking to know the people who live in your apartment complex? who God has placed around you? Is it your purpose to be a blessing to them? Now, this is not easy. Neighbors can be distant and difficult, and often both. We have to be intentional. The Zilke family recently prayed over the last couple of houses that went up for sale right around our neighborhood. Several years ago, God brought, God brought this wonderful older couple to a house across the street. They're from Maine. They have a great accent. I love Mainers. Wicked smart, wicked bad. I mean, I love it. They're wonderful. And then he brought a wonderful young couple to the house next door that we prayed for, who they're now attending rooftop. Yes. We prayed and God responded. I believe this happened in part because of our prayers and the intentionality to be a blessing where God has planted us. Now, this doesn't take away from the knuckleheaded neighbor across the street who always blows his leaves into my yard after my kids have gone out and done the hard work. Every year. And this doesn't 
not include the neighbor on the other side who we had a blow up with over a misunderstanding five years ago that just now is starting to diminish and subside. You know it. You know what I'm talking about. Neighbors, relationships, they can be complicated. But that's what exiles do in the land because this is what God wants us to do. God tells Judah to embrace captivity. That's our first point. Our second point. False prophets tell Judah to resist captivity in Babylon. Resist captivity. That's what the false prophets were were saying. In Jeremiah 29, verses 8 through 9, this is what Jeremiah records. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. God is warning his people in exile about false prophets. Okay, that's good and important to know. There are going to be false teachers, people who speak for God, who are actually enemies of God, who are lying about the things that God is saying, telling you to do the opposite thing. Well, what do they say to Judah and to the exiles heading to Babylon? Verse 16 through 19 in Jeremiah 29, we hear Thus says the Lord concerning the king who sits on the throne of David and concerning all the people who dwell in this city, your kinsmen, who did not go out with you into exile. They told these prophets, the people of Judah, to resist, to hide, to not let themselves be taken into captivity, but try to stay here near Jerusalem or what was left of it. And we continue in verse 17 to find out what happens. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I am sending on them, those that stayed, famine, sword, pestilence. I will make them like vile figs that are so rotten they cannot be eaten. I will pursue them with sword, famine, and pestilence and will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth, to be a curse, a terror, a hissing, and a reproach among all the nations where I have driven them. Because they did not pay attention to my words, declares the Lord, that I persistently sent to you by my servants, the prophets, but you would not listen, declares the Lord. Wow. That's intense. The proud Israelites who would not listen to God, who resisted exile, who avoided deportation to Babylon, as you can read, the punishment is severe. Does this happen today? Are there false teachers and preachers who are speaking in the name of God, but are speaking false words? Yes, yes, yes. It does happen today, all the time. And some people get very rich off of it too. We have teachers and preachers, not just around the country, but here in St. Louis, who will tell you something you want to hear, but which is not from God. For example... All you need is a little more faith and belief in who you can be. That is not from the Bible. We have teachers and preachers here in St. Louis who don't talk about sin, who don't talk about repentance, who don't talk about humility before God because it's not what we the people really want to hear. But it's the message that we need to hear. And that God wants us to hear because he loves us. We have the word of God from Genesis to Revelation. And that 
is God's message. That's our authority. We should only be preaching that message here. And in that message, you will find exactly what I talked about. In fact, Jesus encapsulates his message in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. This is what he said, this timeless message of Jesus Christ. And he said to all, Jesus speaking, said to everyone, said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. How many of us, when we woke up this morning, said, deny myself? No, we said, coffee, donuts. We weren't saying deny myself. Jesus says, the follower of Christ says, deny yourself. And then, the second thing, picture it, big, wooden, two, three hundred pound cross. Pick it up daily and follow. There's a burden, there's a weight. What that means That means the troubles of life, the difficulties, the struggles that we try to avoid, that we blame others for, that we pretend aren't there. No. Jesus says, pick up your cross. And thirdly, follow me. Follow Jesus with the struggle and the weight of the day. Be wary of the false prophets who are looking to be famous, who are looking to rub shoulders of famous people, who are looking to be applauded, who are looking for the big crowds, who will say what people want to hear, not what God has for them that is hard to hear as we're talking about. Because when we truly say yes to Jesus and choose to follow him, he can and will lead us to some hard places. Let me say that again. If you say yes to Jesus with all of your heart, he's going to lead you to some hard places, through some hard times, to some scary places. And why? He's going to lead you to places where faith and trust in him are the only thing that will get you through where your abilities, your intelligence, your well-being has no bearing, only trust and faith in the living God. That's why we go there. Because he wants intimacy with us, dependence on him from us. And this leads us to our third point this morning. Our third point from Jeremiah to the exiles. God promises to prosper his people wherever they live. Let me say it again. God promises to prosper his people wherever they live. In Jeremiah 29, verses 10 through 14, verses many of you have heard, this is what he says. Excuse me, 11 through 14. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Now there's a term in there that we need to address. And it's the term prosper or prosperity. What does that mean? What does God really want with regard to prosperity? Well, this is not the prosperity gospel that is so often spoken of today. It is not a name it and claim it. You give this to God or to us and God will give you that. It's not a transactional type of relationship. If someone tells you that you can get this from God if you give them this or if you send them that, 
Run away from that teacher or from that person who's giving you that message. That is not the prosperity Jeremiah is talking about, and that's not the prosperity that Jesus ever talks about. Real prosperity is a treasure that can't be taken away. Real prosperity is a treasure that Babylon cannot come and confiscate from your temple before they burn it to the ground. Real prosperity is the wealth of godliness. And that's a mysterious term, but that's the objective of all who would love and follow Jesus. And, and this is hard, this is reality, but this is hard. And this canon usually does include things like suffering and hardship. Yes, prosperity from God includes suffering and hardship. If someone tells you otherwise, they are deceiving you. How do we know this? Because this is the path of Jesus Christ. That was the path that he walked. He walked the path of suffering and hardship for the ultimate prosperity, to please and bring glory to God and to save those of us who would believe in him. Now, how can this statement be true for us today? First, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The salvation and new life that Christ gives to those who receive him is sealed and preserved by the Holy Spirit regardless of your circumstances or location. It is a prosperous thing to know Jesus intimately. It is a prosperous thing to love Jesus and to have your sins forgiven. The ultimate prosperity, salvation from Jesus Christ. Secondly, God wants to prosper you where you are today, this morning, as an exile. Remember, we're exiles. You can be living here in St. Louis, working hard to raise a family, a godly family, and the plans of God's prosperity are valid for you. Now, God is going to challenge you. He's going to ask you to sacrifice for him. He's going to ask you to die to yourself and to your interests, but his prosperity is available to you therein. Or you can choose to move your family, maybe to other parts of the world to serve the kingdom of God, like some global outreach families that we support as a church have done. Your life can be harder elsewhere, right? But God's plans of prosperity are still valid for you. In fact, in God's economy, it may be more prosperous for your family to go and to serve and to sacrifice. Because that's the harder place. It requires more faith. It requires more trust in God. It requires more sacrifice. Thirdly, we've had a wonderful influx of singles here in the rooftop community. And I want to speak to you this morning. As you move to St. Louis, like Lindy talked about, or just are moving about trying to find your place, as you're finding a community to be a part of, as you do this and choose to build into your faith in Christ to serve him as best you are able with the knowledge and wisdom you possess, plans of God's prosperity are valid for you. He'll show you that daily as you trust in him. So what steps can we take as we leave here today? All right, I got two final steps for you as you go. Two steps. First, and this is important. This isn't really a do, this is a be type of response. But we need to think and pray about the reality of being in exile here in America. Let me say that again. We need to think and pray 
about the reality of being an exile here in America. Because everything we get on commercials, on marketing, tells you to what? Feel at home, make a home, dig in, indulge yourself. And exiles don't foremost indulge themselves. Exiles are aware, this is a foreign land. I need to always be aware, I'm in a foreign land. This is not home. So what does this mean? Well, it might change a lot of choices that you and I make. Are we focused on God and his kingdom as much as we should be? Are we too focused on the things of Babylon, on the things of America, on the things of St. Louis, on the things that the world around us thinks is important? Are we ready to sacrifice and surrender whatever we might have earned or acquired rightfully and justly through our efforts and diligence? This could be the life of an exile in the kingdom of God. It might be what God's asking of you. That's the first thing. Second thing is this, and I want to go back to the passage we started in Jeremiah for our second thing. Given to the exiles in Judah, given to us exiles here in St. Louis. Verse 5, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. God has put you someplace. And he has put you in that place to prosper as an exile and to be a blessing. What is good for St. Louis is good for us. What is good for Afton is good for us. What's good for Crestwood is good for us. What's good for Baldwin is good for us. What's good for your neighborhood, your apartment complex, the people around you is good for us. How can you seek the welfare of the city in which you live, in the neighborhood or the apartment complex in which you live? This is what it means to be in exile as a follower of Jesus Christ. With our focus and our hopes, not on this world, but rather on heaven, which is our true home, by the way. That's our true home. Where Christ is presently waiting and anticipating when our exile here is finally over. And he calls us home. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the reminder that we're exiles. We can't get too comfortable because Babylon is not our home. We have a promised land yet to go to. But while you have us in exile here in St. Louis, wherever we might find ourselves, I pray that we would be surrendered to you, that we would live with the mindset of exiles. I pray that Rooftop Church would be filled with people who are open-handed, ready to just surrender to you, God, what do you want of my life as an exile as you seek to expand your kingdom that others who are lost might be found and might be brought home to heaven someday as well. Thank you for Jesus who waits for us 
for our exile to end with open arms and into whose arms we can run fully and wholeheartedly.